0: Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Opie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. In October of 2011, I made my way to the epicenter of the Occupy Wall Street movement to speak to members of what they call the People's Kitchen. What you're about to hear is a number of interviews I did as part of my larger series called "Feed in the Revolution, the role of food in social movements. The People's Kitchen didn't just emerge out of nowhere, but it's part of an earlier movement known as the Rainbow Gatherings. The Rainbow Gatherings has a long history, and we'll learn more about it as we go along. On this journey, you'll meet people who came to Occupy Wall Street from New Jersey, Wisconsin, San Francisco, and other parts of the United States. Napoleon said that an army marches on its stomach. What we learned is that the army marches on its stomach as the people make the food. As I walked around Occupy Wall Street on this windy and cold day in October and saw Michael, I was surprised to find that he had a British accent.
1: Michael? Michael, where are you from? Originally from England. In the United States for 40 years. And how long have you been down at Occupy Wall Street? I just got here.
0: Just today? so so what do you think uh you've seen other movements like this absolutely
1: and what role do you see food playing in social movements it's the core of it just like in life i mean that's where it all begins it's good nutrition good food and would you say
0: that the kitchen here is have you ever seen a you know like a movement as
1: kitchen like this yeah i i learned to cook at a thing called rainbow gatherings what was that Rainbow Gathering is an alternative 4th of July. Started after the Woodstock Festival and the hippies chose a place in the National Forest to gather every July, the 4th, to pray for peace. And you work at a kitchen like this? And it's kitchens like this. Every, all the food is donated, all the labor is donated, and everything is works on gift economy. And we fed thousands of people. We cooked outdoors on wood fire and that this is something that is still happening every year. So it's you fabulous. see similar things here? I heard a little rumor that some of the people that got this going at the first were people from Rainbow Gathering because we all have experience in organizing this kind of camp kitchen to feed lots of people, stay clean, keep people. So some of these people have much older roots and they're bringing that history here. So this the is pe- not something new you're thinking. No, no. What you see here is lots of young people like this and they're occupying the park and thank goodness they are some of them are working but you can see a lot of hanging out and talking and ranting the people who are keeping this running the people well I'm 70, I'm older than most but it's people 40, 50, 60, 70 with some young people who have the know-how have the experience have got the sort of you know the the strength and the serenity to hold it together with all the stress, and it's to assert the people's right of free assembly.
0: How old were you when you did your first move? As
1: a college student, I was nineteen. University of London, Aldermaston Peace March, Bertrand Russell, English peace movement, and then I got into anti-nuclear organising when I came yes, here. Sir, sir. That's good. Yeah, the kitchens at Seabrook nuclear power plant they wanted to build up in uh, in New Hampshire, where there was no, you know, if anything happened to it, there was no way for a couple of million people to escape. And we went in, we tried to stop it being constructed. Oh yeah, we had a big kitchen there.
0: Same so, thing, food donated by other yeah, yeah. organizations. I was here last night and crowd smaller, no media. Now it's warm, daytime, and all these so-called celebrities coming out. To be
1: seen at Occupy Wall Street to get attention. The thing is, we're, we're saying the, re- the revolution will not be televised. Yesterday I see this guy, they're doing a model shoot in the middle of this, but this is the backdrop. We're the happening thing, this hub. You're branding. You come here to brand. It's not, it's not just them. You've got all the, the Revolutionary Communist Party, the Socialist World, the, the body snatchers. That's <laughs> what I they're here recruiting. Every issue they jump on it. And you've got us sort of... What is it? It's a mix of anarchists and peace movement people. Do you have people on the right? You know, any, you know Tea Party type of people? Mm-hmm. Because they were against the bailout too. I think the people, progressives, missed the boat way back to Reagan times, so yeah. right then. That nice. so we missed the boat. Reagan got all the bubbers yeah. to vote for most of the stuff that led to this crap. Uh-huh. And it's because we didn't talk. Yeah, the white working class. There wasn't unity between black and white working people. And we let the right and the right. We knew to go and go and recruit those people. They knew exactly who they were after, and they worked through the churches and the social clubs.
0: Learning from Michael about Rainbow Movement, I wanted to find out more about it. So I was able to talk to Amy, who, according to many in the People's Kitchen was at the genesis of what was going on at Occupy Wall Street in terms of food.
2: Amy Dawn Hamburger. Where are you from? Queens Village, New York. I was working as a substitute paraprofessional at which point I came down here and I stopped going there.
0: How long have you been here? When did you, For you remember Since when you- say day one. So, oh so wow. So did you have like a food background before you joined the kitchen committee?
2: I worked as a waitress for six years.
1: Oh, okay. Um,
2: I also find that I'm about service and a lot of people who are about service tend to gravitate towards food. Okay. I've, I've visited a lot of communities where I've done a lot of things in the kitchen.
0: Is this your first social movement?
2: Yes. I mean, my life, it seemed like it was naturally tending here because for the past two years I've been traveling, visiting communities, communes, going to rainbow gatherings.
0: Some of what you guys do is kind of predicated on that history of that movement. A lot of
2: the way I set up the kitchen and the way of, a lot of the stuff I have contributed is led directly or modified from rainbow gatherings.
0: So have you been going to rainbow gatherings for a couple of years yourself?
2: Yeah. So, so this some... is this is basically the child of protests and rainbow gatherings. Someone coined the term and it's a joke term, but protestable because it's a combination of protests and festivals.
0: What role do you see food playing in a social movement?
2: I'm going to address directly the Rainbow Experience for a moment because that's where my history is, like where my teaching, like my learning is from. Um, It was everything for me because you go there and you learn about giving and about service. And the way to plug in, a way to become a part of the community there is to plug into one of the kitchen. And just go and be like, what do you need? What do you help? And there's just a whole culture of service based around the food. The food is free, and the community comes together and prepares it. And usually there's um, a group circle, and one of the camps will serve the food. So it's 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 about family. It's about togetherness. and It's about self service.
0: But how many people would attend a, a rainbow event?
2: If it were nationals, it's tens of thousands. And so there
0: are regional and there's a national?
2: Yeah. And Regionals e- are much smaller, from 100 to 1,000.
0: 100 to 1,000. Right. And then the other one, you say, could be as much as 10,000. Could be more. Have, than you, that. have you been to a national?
2: I have been
0: to a national. So in a national, you must have several kitchens
2: is What it is, and it might be part of a solution to a problem we're having here, um, is there's different families and there's different camp so there's like, a new england kitchen and there's the kitchen that believes in this and then there's the, the street kids kitchen like, there's different names for that so they get together and there's the kitchen that just cooks pancakes okay so it's many communities within the larger community.
0: very very interesting stuff so you it, food is food is everything when it comes to. That. Is this is this a good template of what you've learned of what you saw or have you done some different things here compared to them?
2: there are definite different things because of the nature of this as opposed to rainbow gathering A rainbow gathering is in the woods does that make it easier or harder different
0: okay different i mean we have
2: resources here that we would not have there and there's resources there that we would not have there for instance there would be running water there of some kind that you can filter we don't have that but we also have stores and people donating food and plenty of food and resources that not have in the woods, so it's, it's adapting. I'm gonna give you a little history, directly. Okay. The first few days were very, very rough. Like there, as now there's organization was an issue. We kept getting like all this dumpster bread, and there was an issue. We were concerned about the health inspector, and there's all this. Stuff around so I ended up staying up all night organizing and laying out a tablecloth and one of the things I did was to try to make it more like home I started writing signs out and one of the signs that is very much like a rainbow idea was um, if you see something that needs to be done do it okay. and I kind of feel that's what's behind the movement okay. from that I ended up getting a lot of volunteers what's now been built is I kind of started to learn how to empower people and those people kind of learn how to empower and we have a core group of like at least 20 people in the kitchen right now that are empowered to act and don't feel like anyone's leading them and work together and then hopefully that will grow because even now we're overworked. Well,
0: Amy, would you say that you are the brains of the operation?
2: I would say I gave birth but at this point it's I'm just as much a player as anyone else. It's its own organism and it should have a life of its own That I'm still a part of like kind of nurture the kitchen. What happened was first day I came here they said split into work one of them was food. I said no I'm not gonna go to food. I always got to food. I am not okay, food. Okay. I went and walked towards that wall where arts and culture was going to be. And I'm like, finally, I'm honoring my artist. Go That's just
0: your background kind of artist? I mean,
2: I'm, I'm an actress. Okay.
0: Third day. What were your numbers you like there. that first day?
2: Not more than 100. What I learned at Rainbow Gathering was basically in order to be part of the community, you have to work and you have to give of yourself in order to get back. The one person, there was one person who was running, the pit, Chris. One person, and basically it was a pyramid of peanut butter jars and a bag of dumpster bags. So I asked him, can I help you make peanut butter and jelly? And he said, of course. So I helped him. And it wasn't peanut butter and jelly. It was peanut butter. Later, we got jelly. So I was making the peanut butter sandwiches, and I helped him for an hour or two, and I walked away. That night, I came up to him, and of course... Like a lot of people, he wasn't getting any sleep. He had to, he in the area. He's like, I, I need to go home and get sleep. I trust you. Will you watch the kitchen? And I said, okay. And I felt honored. It was like, all right. <laughs> and so I did. And basically from there, that was it. Because it's there's so many things to take care of. Like, I didn't sleep that night, I don't think. Um, the next night was probably the night that I was up 24 hours cleaning the kitchen. It was all me, and I was supposed to know everything. The- it was part of the bench with a, a pyramid of peanut butter and peanut butter and jelly.
0: And I heard... Somebody say that you guys are literally getting pizzas sent from everywhere. Who set that up? Justin.
2: We did it through Twitter. was around the same. Th- the night that I stayed for the first time, and I was asked to the kitchen. That's when the Liberatos thing started getting really big. Justin Twittered, "Send us pizza," and I guess he found this Liberatos, and it just it worked, and <laughs> people kept getting pizza, and now they have like a amazing business from us.
0: How do you keep from getting burnt out? I hear yeah. all the hours with you're pulling. You're learning.
2: Right now, I'm setting up um, a program where I'm bringing in, like, teachers and leaders to um, help us how to sustain ourselves. Tonight, we're having a meeting, which I'm calling Sustaining the Occupiers, which is going to kind of let all the people that have been here for a month vent and talk about how they've been feeling.
3: So we'll see. We're learning.
0: Amy sure provided a lot of context of how these people were able to pull this off. One of the most interesting fellows I came upon next was Chris, who made his way to Occupy Wall Street after hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Chris, how long you been here. Just about a
4: week. I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. And every time I went out to resupply, I heard it got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I said, I gotta go do some urban camping. I grew up in Anglewood, New Jersey, but I live in Seattle the last 25
0: years. You and heard this on the trail.
4: I come out to resupply. And I'm a news junkie, so I'd find out the news. And first, it was a bunch of people are doing it, interesting. Then it was 700 people arrested on the Brooklyn Bridge. I'm like, damn, I don't want to go to Rikers. Right. But they're brave. And then it started growing. I said, well, maybe I need the backstop the people who are who got arrested. And here I am. I didn't want to. I felt like I had to. Okay. That? Yeah. Because you know, I was up for the draft in the Vietnam War. You know, I mean. Well, I wasn't up. The war ended in '74, and I turned 18 in '74. Okay. But they ended the draft in '72. Okay. But I didn't know that in '70. So I had been protesting because okay. I saw it coming. So, th-
0: so this is this is not your your first social movement.
4: Oh no! And then there was the war movement, the anti-nuke movement, the civil rights movement. Anti- I grew up. Yeah. I grew up during all of those. Okay. So all those movements were my. Movements.
0: Yeah. Do you see this one any different?
4: Have you ever known anything about fans? Well, it's because of the internet and, and the, the ability to network. We didn't have that back then.
0: Uh-huh.
4: Uh-huh. In fact, I was hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Guys are hiking with Kindles and, and iPhones. The heart of this thing is the, is the kitchen. Lots of people come by and, the, and they're impressed that how, the, the, how we're feeding all these people. Yeah.
0: Chris provided an interesting context to how people were finding out about Occupy Wall Street, and people who came from a long history of civil disobedience and protest. Next, I met Beth, who came to Occupy Wall Street via San Francisco. She helped provided a sense of how a similar movement was going on on the West Coast. What, what, what's your name? Beth. Where are you from?
5: I actually live in San Francisco.
0: Okay. And you were at Occupy San Francisco for how long?
5: Two weeks. Two
0: weeks. Is the kitchen well. in San Francisco as big as this one?
5: No, San Francisco is much smaller. Okay. Um, and we had a, a stove.
0: Did you volunteer in that food committee in San Francisco? No, I wasn't on
5: the food committee.
0: Okay. I too
5: involved in other stuff. Yeah. But, um, they um, when we first started, we had tents, and there was a, a kitchen tent. And they did have a stove they were cooking on-site. The police came in, told them they had to take down their tents. There was a raid a few weeks ago that I was at on a Wednesday night where they had like 75 police officers in riot gear come and like walk wow. through the camp and look menacing. Okay. And they dumped a lot of our possessions. A lot of what they threw out were food donations. Oh, wow. And so we basically had a rent, well. A lot of it got thrown out in the truck and then they said you can come back and get your stuff three days later but obviously food was ruined so we lost a lot of food and we had to start um, having um, just telling people bring food that's already prepared. As far as I know there's not a formalized off-site system so people are just bringing food, sometimes it's prepared food that they're preparing on their own and bringing, but it has to be used, it has to be something that people can eat right away, because okay. we can't store it because of the storage issue.
0: What what role do you see food playing in, in a movement like this? Food is
5: a big part of it, because when people are camping out, um, and they're not, you know, if they're making it, their basically their full-time job to join this protest movement, it's vital to have food available. So, um, that people are stepping up there and here, bringing food every single day, bringing food donations, people who maybe are working people and can't, you know, camp out every night or they're older or have children. um, They're contributing by bringing food and making sure people have food available. And it is, uh, I think, vital to, you know, being able to maintain this movement. Food is, is probably just as vital as money contributions, because, when you get money contributions, there's all kinds of logistical issues that come into play when you have a non-hierarchical, you know, direct democracy system um, that I've seen there and here about, you know, who's in charge of the money, how do you access the money, what are the rules regarding the money. So bringing food is probably actually an even more direct way to help the movement, I think.
0: The show will be right back for related content on negotiating the world of school and sports visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. The best way to support the podcast is to tell a friend. Share the show on Facebook and Twitter or send them to our website at fredopi.com. Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show, unpacking history to positively impact the future. Next, I met Bo, who came to occupy Wall Street from Wisconsin which had been embroiled in its own conflict as the governor of the state, Scott Walker, faced off against organized labor.
3: Come your full name? Uh, Bo
0: Sibbing. Where are you from, Bo? Uh,
3: you Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
0: And how long have you been here?
3: about three weeks now yeah. and you're a member of which committee uh... kitchen people's kitchen
0: uh, food that you guys have where does it come from
3: it's it's a, mostly donations um, actually a really big contributor to us happens to be the uh, correctional officers union we, we also get donations uh, from some churches i know judson church is helping us out a lot. Oh, okay. It's over by Washington Square. What kind of
0: things are you getting, for example, from the corrections union?
3: The corrections union are, are helping us out. They're, they've given us um, a hunk of money. We get we get uh, $500 a week, I believe. Uh, we get to go to Costco. They, they, they hook us up with Costco the cards. They provide the driving, even. They pick us up, take us over to Costco. Make sure if we need supplies, because a lot of things that we get mostly food, obviously. Um, but we need, like, plates and you know, napkins. uh, gloves, you know, things like that, supplies that we need that aren't food that we can go and get at Costco.
0: The kitchen's open all the time, or how's it run?
3: That shift, we pretty much run in three shifts. We run from 7 to seven to noon, okay. and then uh, noon to 5, and then we take a break from 5 until 7 when dinner starts. But we try to do a hard close at 11, but most of the time we still have a bunch of granola bars, stuff like that. that you eat we what just, we give you. We just kind of put out and let people take for themselves after we after
0: okay. pull the clothes. Where are you guys cooking at?
3: We do have off-site cooking. Uh, we have a place, um, th- there's a place in uh, East New York. We also have a place um, in Brooklyn that we go to to cook off-site mornings. We get, we just get it pretty catered.
0: Next, I talked to Megan, who came from Queens to the Manhattan location of Occupy Wall Street. She explains what motivated her to get involved. Megan, tell me your full name. Megan And where are you from? Queens. When did you first come? Uh, September
4: 30th,
6: I answer some of the uh, Occupy emails uh-huh. and a lot of people have been quoting Napoleon saying that really? like, uh, the army uh, marches on its stomach. That's been motivating them to give us more food
0: donation. Is this your first social movement?
6: Um, yeah, I've been, I, I guess I can just, were you could I've say sheltered. Were you? I've been political, um, but never to the extent like this.
0: So what did it? What pushed you
6: to come? i started reading stories of people saying they had to choose between going to the doctor or putting food on the table or paying their mortgage and um, or you know getting feeding their kids or getting like keeping their house with oil like they had to make choices for basic possessions that every human deserves one thing that gets my goat is knowing that 2,000 calories worth of junk food is cheaper than 2,000 calories worth of healthy food and how many inner-city people can't afford healthy food, and because of that, they're overweight, they're diabetic, they are, you know, hyperglycemic, exactly, they have high blood pressure, they have heart disease. Every, healthy food should be a right.
0: After walking around Occupy Wall Street for two days and doing interviews, it became quite evident to me that there was a lack of diversity and very little African-American participation in the movement. I had the chance to talk to the self-proclaimed Brooklyn kid, and he gave his take on why African Americans are not involved from his neighborhood.
7: A few people ask me, and I tell them, I'm down at Occupy Wall Street because you know what? I believe in change. And do they know what that is when you say that? Or are they like, what's that? A few people don't. It's just, you know, what the news says it is, a bunch of privileged kids, college graduates, you know, looking to start trouble and actually free things and get their college debtor erased. So, so mean, even
0: even that stereotype is is, is pervasive within the black community. Yes, it's. Reverend, they're, they're eating up the media.
7: Eating up the media because, sad to say, but our communities are so entwined with television, culture. TV culture. Yeah. I mean, I listen to a radio station, ninety-eight point seven, Reverend Al Sharpton, Kiss FM. He has a, a, a hour of power that comes on every Sunday night. One night I heard him talking about the, the respect that these kids should have for. For, for holding on so long and dealing with this and he's telling black people that we need to get in this. Okay. And, and the reason why though I, sometimes I disagree with his tactics, yeah. I respect him and I, and, I, and I believe in him is because of the fact that he's doing it. You can't, you, can't, you can't say something doesn't work if you don't put your feet to the ground. Mm-hmm. You can't say something isn't good if you don't go check it out. That's like a, a book. You can't say it's not good if you don't go to the library and read it. You can't say there's no information if you're not trying to, to assert yourself in the world. So, so
0: I mean, so do you have the BLS's, the KISS FM, do you have the Amsterdam yeah. News? Are they talking about this?
7: As far as the, the black media goes, yeah. because black media should be all over us. Yeah. In the sense that, you know what, they're saying 99%, and you can go in any most urban black communities, and 100% of us, I don't care what y'all you have, but somehow, and some type of debt, some type of problem financially, out of work, some type of community issues where education is affecting our kids or health issues where we don't have enough people with health insurance. So the black people should be in full force just like the rest of the world. However, you know, there's a lot of stigma to protesting and activism is that I care. Type thing, and the black people—we're too cool for school. Not to not to generalize and say all oh, black people are like that. Some are just genuinely scared. Some don't know. So you know that's why I'm here. Get information. How did
0: you find out about it?
7: Um, through the news. Okay, but I don't. Yeah. But I'm not too much of a believer. But they put in news. You said you haven't
0: you have swallowed the Kool-Aid. Uh, I,
7: especially, especially if I ain't making. You know, especially if I ain't making. I got I got to do a little bit digging. You know, I'm not I'm not a, a historian, but yeah. I know a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Are you trying to?
7: bring the message of what's going on here back to the communities. I don't think I'm strong enough in the sense of what I know of the book, Because I can say, yeah, we're fighting Wall Street and we're doing this and we're doing that. But the question is, why should I? But how does that help me? And then it would be a back and forth. And I want to say concrete answers. Statistics not really, but answers that when they're said, they're powerful. Have you gotten a sense of some, if you just said three
0: clear demands from the group, from the General Assembly? Can you walk away even with saying
7: th- this is what they want? My perception my, yeah. and what I've come from is they just want to change the way government deals with people. Okay. They want to change the way people deal with people, which okay. is very important. They know they don't speak about that much, but that's also one. Can, can, can you elaborate them. on that
0: point? They want to change how people deal with people. You know, and even like you said, if you have here among this group Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, you you know, just demonizing the opponent. That stuff's gotta stop. And, and if that can come out of here, and that could be heard by the powers that be, oh my gosh, that would change That would change American society
7: radically. I think that's what Martin Luther King did in his own way. Yeah. Like he said, I'm for the American government. Yeah. We want to be a part of this country. We are here, this yeah. is our home too. Yeah. But if we got to sleep in the basement and you're yeah. not trying to clean out the basement, yeah. I'm yeah. moving up to the first floor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I mean, this is a beautiful thing in its essence. But all things have to grow. And the way this is growing, you know, who knows knows what it can
0: be? We hear from Jabrell from Do or Die Bedside. Jabrell keeps it real with his perspective on Occupy Wall Street as an African American male in his early 50s.
8: What's your name? My name is Jabrell Muhammad, I live in Bedford, Stockton. Because I'm looking at who's coming down here, right? Now, I was shocked when I seen Alex Bowman come up. That's the first day I walked by. Because okay. what right. I actually did, brother, I stood across that street and this circle. It people peeping it. those people. peeping. Then I want to see us who we should. So I, I want to see, is that really my brother, right? Or is it one of my brothers who know how to work it? Yeah. But at the end of the day, I know where I came from. Because that's why I came in here to like look around. So this morning, I got up and close. That's let me go in the circle now. There's it, a lot of things in here that caught
0: my eye. What do you think about the food kitchen? Looking to roll the food and social movement. That. Way
8: that's got to work. we got to have some food. You know, the kitchen, that's going to work. Brother, I've been homeless. Yeah. I don't have a job, now. Yeah. Right? What I really want to wanna do on a full-time basis and God bless me to feed some children and seven days a week to let them know that somebody like yourself is successful, and that because we come out of some of the Russian neighborhoods that we can make. Yeah. What's happening is we don't got that no more. The young brother only sees, you know, Saquon. Yeah. That's all they see.
0: Yeah.
8: Why Soup Kitchen? Because sometimes when you're feeding the mind, you can talk to people. Okay. I've been out of network all the while. Okay. Operation Bad Basket back in the days, brother. You talk to a man, especially when he's starving, they know yeah. how to rap. They had them all in the hood back back there, bro. They had them in, in Hempstead, New York, in the Black Suburb. So you're saying when you feed them,
0: they're going to be more you open to be able to talk some sense to them?
8: Yeah, you can get some bottles right now. And you sat down. some hardcore brother. Right you sat down and you ate with them. Got them some real good food. And you can get some deep intel out of them. And they won't rob your ass. <laughs> <laughs> we said don't rob nobody <laughs> to feed you? They ain't you, man.
0: I'm going to end this segment with an interview with Thomas, a young man from Florida who decided to chronicle the work of the People's Kitchen, creating a manual that he hoped to disperse to other similar movements around the country and the world.
9: Tell me your name. My name's Thomas Flessis. Where are you from? Uh, I'm from days. Tampa, Florida. Now,
0: how long have you been here?
9: I've been here for uh, a little over 20 days. I'm actually working on a, a manual, like a handbook on what we've been doing here okay. that people can add to and people can uh, manipulate okay. for their own cities and their own occupations. going to put it online? We're going to do a PDF and we're also going to do a hard copy. The opening chapter of the living uh, handbook for uh, organizing a uh, working group in the occupied locales is entitled The Importance of Food and Social Movement. In our current system, leading empires control and waste most of the world's resources, while the dependent countries, or third world countries as we call them, str- struggle with famine and malnutrition as, this, as these atrocities run rampant. Food is a right, not a privilege. Free food and access and empowerment towards sustainable movements and communities is the heart of the changes for an increasingly populated planet and its people. Food is freedom, and sustainability empowers the people of this earth to be rid of any force that would seek to enslave, control, or intimidate them into a life of poverty so that a small few can grow fat off of the blood of innocent, hardworking
0: people. I know the way you guys structure everything is kind of consensus politics how you do things. Right, right, a little
9: decentralized. So the food committee,
0: when you get down to the local level, do you meet? When do you guys like get together
9: and to decide what you're going to do? organizational meetings that are open to anybody who wants to help in the kitchen. Hours throughout the day, like we have okay. one at 11, we have one. We're gonna start having one at
0: 5:15. So tell me some of the if you some of the challenges we're trying to feed a revolution. What what are some of the things you're dealing with?
9: It's just kind of hard to keep things somewhat organized, but we're doing it. Um, this is the first big thing I've never, I've never seen anything like this. Is a movement like this can't work without food. it can't it can't last without a heart. The food <laughs> is the heart. Actually, that's one of the. One of the chapters in uh, the manifesto or the, the guide that I'm working on will be, is love and food. Love that goes into the food is shared by the people, the way the people who serve the food, the way they react with the people that are eating it makes the food better, makes the food healthier, makes the person who's eating it feel better about this huh? and want to stay and want to keep going. It's it's real hard to uh, prepare food on site without. Proper health code, you know. That's one of the things we're going to address in the manifesto: is, uh, is uh, abiding by uh, local health codes and, and, and sorts, so that the police have a hard time shutting us down.
0: Well, what's been the inspiration to start it now?
9: Because I've noticed that at a lot of the occupied territories, is what I call it, they're having a hard time organizing. They don't really know exactly what they're doing, and I kind of want to share the knowledge that we've gained here in the past two weeks we've gained so much knowledge and so much experience in doing this, a day feels like a year. Mm-hmm. And I really want to be able to share a document that is living that they can add to their own experiences too. Mm-hmm. So that it's 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 for it's, it's to help empower people to, to start their own food committees, to, to start their own sustainability groups, to, to help movements like this. What keeps you going? This, the love yeah. in here and the revolution. And the,
0: that concludes our interviews from Occupy Wall Street. I hope you enjoyed the segment and learned as much as I did as I conducted these interviews. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to FredOpie.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at FDOPIE at gmail.com. That's FDOPIE.com. O P I E at gmail.com.